Welcome to the Voice of Fandom Podcast. The one place where you, yes, you, you, the viewer, the fan gets to connect and interact live with the host and talk about your favorite sports team, athlete, or game of the week. And speaking of host, he's straight up, straight to the point. And with a mic in his hand, he lets you know he don't give a sh. Former pro wrestler and your host, Kingston Robinson. Let's go, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I apologize for the late start time. I was just dealing with some, you know, the normal technical audio, whatever difficulties with it's 2020. If things don't start off with a struggle, it probably it probably doesn't exist in this year. So welcome. This is going to be a completely different kind of show. Um, I, I've been saying that I'm going to do a show like this for a minute and um, it's finally come to fruition. So just to catch anybody up that hasn't been a part of the show so far. Of course, like the intro says, this is the Voice of Fandom Podcast. My name is Kingston Robinson. And there may be some people that are outside of the normal demographic that's listening on this episode. I invited a lot of my former wrestling uh, counterparts, uh, a lot of my fans, things of that nature, uh, to be a part of the show, to uh, ask a lot of things that may have went uh, unsaid. Uh, unanswered, all all of those things, because uh, in 2019, December, I made the announcement that I was stepping away from professional wrestling. And with that, I pretty much just put a Facebook status up. I put a tweet out and that, that was the end of it. Um, I actually had a show the day that I put that out. And besides my very, very close circle, not a lot of people knew that that was my last show. Um, I tried to let some of my close friends know, uh, of course, my family knew, uh, just so they could make it out for that show, but not a lot of, I mean, even in the same locker room, a lot of people didn't even know. And I, I wanted to do that because I didn't want uh, some grand, like, swan song or anything like that. I didn't want the attention and the locker room like that, that was, I didn't step away uh, for it to be another chapter. And in a lot of wrestlers nowadays, they do that. They do these, uh, what they call Ric Flair retirements. You know, you retire like 14, 15 times uh, just so you can have the thrill and the rush of seeing everybody care for you leaving. And then also that same thrill of knowing, oh, when I come back, like I, I can blow the roof off. I can do this. I can do that. Not my plan. Um, wasn't my mindset then, still not my mindset now. So in this episode, yes, we can talk sports. Yes, we can shoot the shit about the NFL. We can shoot the shit about the NBA, all that, because all that is starting to kick up in very high fashions. But a lot of this is going to be me answering questions about wrestling, whether if it's my wrestling, whether if it's current wrestling. Um, it's going to be me answering why I left, why I'm, you know, why did I take the path that I'm going into now? All those things. So with that being said, let's get started. Uh, I already have a handful of questions from both Facebook and Twitter uh, of people that have sent me 
not just recently in the past day or so that I've opened up my uh, DMs and my comment boards and all that for, but also questions that I've just ignored uh, since then. Um, and we'll get to the biggest one later, but we'll get through the common ones first because everyone asks me, especially going on podcast and uh, different radio in, uh, interviews and video interviews and stuff like that. These questions I'm about to just kind of run through are always the like top five. This is what you hear from me all the time. And I'm going to get those out just so I have more time to do all the other ones. So the first one is, what was your favorite match? Who was your favorite opponent? Like it's always those kind of things. Now, if you didn't follow my wrestling career um, and you don't know where I've been, what I've done, who I've wrestled, things of that nature, um, a brief summary. I, I started in this little-ass town in uh, Porterdale, Georgia. Uh, they had a wrestling school. I literally came up, uh, I came up to it by chance. I, I had tried earlier that year to get into a wrestling school. The only one that I knew was in Atlanta, and I was living about an hour and some change away from that wrestling school. So it was going to be a bit of a commitment with me having two jobs at the time to also drive another hour, which both of my other jobs were an hour away as well. But And, and it was an hour in the opposite direction. So if I was leaving work, it would take me two hours to get there. Um, it, it, it would have been a bit of a commitment to do all of that in that time. and. Also, the, the money that needed to be up front for it was also a good bid, and it, it just didn't work out in that way. So I just happened to come up on this show that, that was uh, performing in Porterdale. It's called PCW. Um, and I went there just to watch the show. A lot of people were talking about it. A lot of people were mentioning it to me, talking about, yo, they're doing a double cage match. They're doing war games in, in Porterdale. Can you believe it? And I mean, I... I could believe it because Porterdale is kind of one of those cities where, you, you know, you pass through and you get through it. You don't really stop in there unless you know what's in Porterdale. But then, yeah, some random bullshit like a, a, a wrestling ring would be out there and you wouldn't know what the hell is going on. And that's literally exactly what it was. Uh, so I went there, kind of enjoyed it for a little bit. Um, and then as I was leaving, I got pulled by one of the wrestlers and they asked me like, was I into wrestling, like, professionally, um, you know, in my training, all that? And I was like, well, you know, played football, did this, did that. But, you know, I've always wanted to get into wrestling. I'm just not into it now. And <laughs> he was just like, well, you're too damn big to just be sitting in a row when half of our roster is about half the size of you. And that's literally how it started. Um, found out that they were just opening a school at that location. That ended up being seven minutes from my home. Uh, so, you know, once I put the money together and got my mind together and all that, uh, my my trainer, Fred Avery, uh, great dude, great guy, uh, gave me every fundamental, whether it be whether if it was from inside the ring or outside the ring. He taught me how to be a professional, how to listen, um, how to take care of myself, how to take care of others, and that's a big deal when it comes to wrestling. And he, after a while, there was a few times where the trainees that signed up and already paid just didn't show up. So I had a lot of opportunities where it was just me and Fred. And we worked the whole two, three, sometimes four hours. He would keep the school open even longer just for me. 
to work on. Then uh, <laughs> we got a little high, fly high flyer in the name of uh, Jam. That was his name. Uh, Jam was cool. He was a little off in the head, but he was cool. And to me, you got to be off in the head anyways to be part of wrestling and to be a high flyer because after you jump off of one or two things and that clip starts going around the internet or all that kind of shit, then everyone wants you to jump off of anything. And you got to be in a different headspace for that. I say the same thing about uh, special teamers and football. When you're a punt returner or a kick returner, you're just looking at people running down the field just to hit you. You got to be in a different headspace for that. Uh, but Jam helped me way more than he could ever think um, because he taught me how to work with a lot of small people in wrestling, know how to maintain my size in wrestling, know how to you know, base for all these crazy flips and moves and all that kind of shit. And since it ended up being pretty much just us two for a long time, um, that's, that's how I worked all the time. So there was a lot of big guys when I started wrestling that was like, wow, how can you move like that? How can you, how do you know how to take this or that? How do you know? It was literally because of that. Now, as more trainees came in, of course, like our time started to get split, but that helped me develop working with people that didn't pick up with, uh, pick up on things as fast. and. Uh, helped me be able to carry more people in the ring and understand how the mechanics of all that works. And if it was not for Fred Avery, believing that I had something, because he was very smart in delegating time for weakness. Not a lot of trainers do that. They have their own little curriculum that they do, and you're on a six-month plan to become the best professional. Fred wasn't like that. Fred was like, you're very good at talking. We don't have to spend days on days on days in promo class. We don't have to do that. You're very good at, you know, this move or that move. We don't have to have a day where you just sit there and do that move every day, all day. So he really dele delegated the correct time to the things that really needed to be structured correctly. And that, I believe, elevated my, my learning curve way further than the normal person that went to some bullshit school that they paid a thousand to twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars and they come out not knowing how to speak not knowing how to work a match not knowing how to talk to the crowd all those things and <laughs> that sucks that sucks for those people uh, but i really appreciate the training that i had and it only led me to continue training wrestling is one of those things where you don't just learn how to do it, and then you're done. You learn how to get to the point where you're acceptable to be seen by people, and then you continue to get better and better and better so you can be accepted to be seen by more and more people. That's how wrestling goes. Now, some people get to jump some hoops, jump some steps. They get seen by the right one person, and, you know, they get the Six Flags flash pass, uh, up to a different uh, echelon. But I believe it's very critical to learn how to work in front of those three, four, five people before you move to those 50 to 75 people, those three to 500 people, to those two to 3,000 people, and so on and so forth. Because you get, to, you get to understand that, one, your body does not work 
the same way in front of seven people to 7,000 people. It just doesn't. And, and I don't know about the scale of 70,000 people, but I am sure it just, it, it, it doesn't work the same way. So you have to learn how to work with your body in situations like that. That's another thing I was taught very young. It wasn't one of those, oh, you only work this hard for this amount of people. No, it was understanding that when you're working in front of seven people, shit's going to hurt way more than when you're working in front of 700, 1,000, all that kind of stuff. That's just how that is. Your adrenaline's not there. You don't have that same superpower mentality. That's a big deal. A lot of people try to go and jump off, so jump off of roofs and ceiling fans and all kinds of wild shit in front of three people. And they're wondering, while they're posting a Facebook status, canceling two or three bookings, because you're just not that same person. But anyways, uh, fast forward eight months into my technical professional wrestling career, because you don't really count training because you don't know how long training is going to be. Some people get in and out of training really fast. Other people, they stay in training for years and then they come out and they have their like first two or three in front of crowd matches and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I've been wrestling for like five years. You're like, oh, okay, where? Well, I mean, you know, I've been training for like, like four. What the fuck? Like, no, so about eight months out of training, um, I had one of the biggest matches of my career very early. And that was against Cedric Alexander. Cedric uh, came in to PCW, which uh, while I was training and after I got done training, I, that was considered my home promotion. That's where I stayed um, and continued to work. I worked through their roster. Um, I did this angle where... I was Adrian Armour, uh, you know, coming out into the ring, doing my own thing. I had, like, the MVP sleeveless bodysuit and came out and did all this, like, super baby-facey athletic uh, stuff. And then I would go to the back, change into all black, put on a black mask, grab a black chair, and I was also part of the black chair brigade. I know, sounds fucking great, doesn't it? But... <laughs> It allowed me to be able to understand how to change my mechanics from a person they literally saw 15 to 20 minutes ago to now I have to be this different person. And I took this seriously because I knew sooner than later there was going to be a payoff to this. Like I didn't know personally there was going to be a payoff, but I just knew okay, well, I don't want to fuck this up because I want my first like big payoff to be, uh, you know, a, a semi-big deal to the promotion that I'm working for. So during this time, I'm this super biggie babyface or upcoming babyface, not super big, but upcoming babyface. Um, it helped that I was living just minutes away from the town. So I was starting to get friends and people that recognized me from high school and like all that kind of stuff to start coming to the shows and being in the crowd. So they were fully bought in to me being this hometown athletic guy that is now starting on his journey of what he talked about in school. And I was being a professional wrestler. Um, and then <laughs> um, the black chair brigade started to be the like black chair duo. 
because the Black Chair Brigade was made up of the people that were training with me at the time. And they started to either get injured or fall out. Jam ended up splitting his pancreas uh, on a move where, once again, you got to be a different breed to do. He was doing like a, a moonsault on the apron and the moonsault on the apron, <laughs> he landed straight on his stomach and split his pancreas. And I, I still don't know to this day how it happened. Um, but <laughs> that was that. So it ended up boiling down to just being me uh, that was part of this black chair brigade. And then whispers started coming through of like, they're going to put me with, you know, different people. They're going to unmask me. That's going to be, you know, the, the fade turn, all that kind of stuff. And that ended up what happened. I actually worked a secret taping with um, a few people. Uh, it was headed up by, uh, wow, I'm like forgetting names right now. It was headed up by Fred Yehi. Um, it was his like YouTube channel show. Um, and I ended up wrestling a few people, one of them being Chip Day. And Chip Day, I mean, we have storied, storied history now. But Chip Day was my like litmus test because he was probably the biggest babyface of PCW at the time. He was my litmus test on like where I am in wrestling. Because this was before Cedric. Um, this was maybe about two months before Cedric. So I'm sitting here like, okay, I've seen Chip have, you know, 10 minute matches, 30 minute matches. I've seen Chip, you know, run with some of the best of them. So I, this is where I can see where, where I am. Me and Chip went and, you know, uh, went 10, 12 minutes, I believe. Uh, first time ever, you know, meeting, talking outside of just like high and by in the locker room. He was the one that saw where I could go in that first match. Uh, he was in the tag team with a guy named Styler Cross, who ended up being my future tag team partner. Um, and in PCW, they had a manager of the extreme caliber of Jeff G. Bailey. Now, Jeff G. Bailey is the prototypical heel, loudmouth, talk his shit whenever he wants to type of manager. So they were kind of doing their own, they were doing their own thing um, in PCW. So when they said that, I would somehow get involved in that. I was like blown away. Uh, so what ended up happening is that as the Black Chair Brigade defused, um, I, I literally worked a match as Adrian Armour, the babyface, went to the back, changed, went straight down the stairs immediately with Jeff G, uh, Jeff G. Bailey, Silent Cross, and Chip Day. We all stood in the ring and... Jeff G is cutting this scathing-ass promo, getting the whole building hot, blah, blah, blah. And then he talks about how there's just too much talent behind this mask that he shouldn't just be an assassin anymore. So what ends up happening is that I unmask, and then it's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, we, we just saw him. We just saw him. We just cheered for him. Um, and I think it's hilarious that that was my first, like, real turn. And... Just years later in my career, I did an instant turn just like that. But we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that later. So uh, now I'm this hated heel that turned his back on the hometown because I don't give a fuck about them because they didn't give a fuck about me, which really let me know how to develop a wrestling character. Because as a babyface, once you get people to like you, all you have to do is like a cool move or so, and they still like you. As a heel, it is hard. 
to make people keep hating you. Because we are now in the wrestling world where it's cool to be an asshole. So as you're an asshole, people are just cool with you being that. So you have to keep developing and pulling on personal heartstrings and making sure that these people still don't like you at the end of the day. They don't want to come up and shake your hand and get the autograph and all that kind of stuff. And younger, I didn't really get that as much because I still like answer Facebook messages and all that. So then when they came to the show, they booed because they knew they should. They didn't boo because they wanted to. And that's a different kind of boo. I wanted the you're throwing anything and everything at me kind of boo. And with that turn, started to develop that. And I started to develop this mantra of like, I'm better than this town. So I'm coming. And it, it, it ended up being something really good. And with that, it became this build of we're bringing outside people in and all that, all that jazz. So Cedric was at this point uh, climbing climbing the ROH ladder. Um, of course, with him being out of North Carolina and all that, like that scene, that Southeast scene is, is uh, very close when it comes to the roster that's being used. So I was eight, eight and a half months in. Uh, Chip made a lot of the calls to get Cedric uh, in the building and everyone expected it to be Cedric and Chip, which has happened several times. And it ended up being me and Cedric. And we had a dope, dope little 10 minute, uh, as, as <laughs> I like to see it when I rewatch it back, like TV, TV match. Um, it's very good. Um, I, I was probably nervous out of my mind when I had it. And then we went to the back. And once again, this was another litmus test for me. It was another like, okay, can, can I keep doing this? I'm still very young. So if I decide like, yo, this ain't it for me. I, I, you know, I can hang up the boots and be cool with it. And I talked with Cedric and he was like, yeah, you know, this was good. That was good. Blah, blah, blah. This and that. You know, we had a little, you know, fuck up here and there. Um, but, you know, that was on me. So, you know, everything is good. And he was like, how long you been working again? And I was like, probably about six and a half to eight months. <laughs> and he threw his kick pads against the wall. And he was like, I might as well fucking retire. Because I don't know how you're already at this level. Not even a year in. And that was one of those things that I was like, okay, like I'm in this, I can crank this up because Cedric, Cedric's doing shit. You know, it'd be different if this was just, and it, this sounds shitty, but it's real. It would have been different if it was just somebody else in the locker room because that's pretty much what people said in the locker room coming out of training. Even people that showed up in training, they thought they were going to be able to like run me into the ground or chop me till I wanted to get out of the ring or. I couldn't bump fast enough. I couldn't feed fast enough. Like all that kind of stuff. They thought I was that like prototypical. He's in shape and he thinks he can do this. But like I love wrestling. So I and anything that I get myself into, whether if it's podcasting or bartending or wrestling, football, whatever, I do my very best to become one of the better people that you see as fast as possible. And that's how wrestling was for me. Um so anytime that some of the roster members or whatever came into training and they tried to run me, I took it very personally because I was like, no, you're, you're not going to come in here after I've, you know, worked my ass off for two hours with all the other trainees and then come in here and think you're going to see me at my worst and run me past my worst. No, I'm, uh, no, no, we're, 
I'm going to run with you and I'm going to push you in remembering why, oh, damn, maybe, maybe we should give this guy a chance and not be a dick. And that's how it ended up happening. So a few people started taking me under their wing. Of course, one being Chip Dance on Cross. I was in their group. This led to a very long uh, storied time of uh, me moving from that area to Atlanta, uh, living with Chip and Siler, traveling the road with them. Uh, having some of my uh, best matches. Uh, I've won tag titles with Sila Cross. Um, I've been in, <laughs> there was a point in time where me and Chip wrestled each other so much, uh, we didn't really have to talk too much. Um, we just went out and did our thing. Um, or we just made like uh, sound effects and we knew exactly by which sound effect it was what we were talking about. Um, and then that led me to meeting Murder one. Uh, Murder hasn't met me in person really before this. Uh, just kind of some high and buys in our apartment uh, because he's very, very close with Chip. Uh, but this was the first time in a professional setting that Murder was giving me a chance. And <laughs> crazy. And I, I said this was going to be fully open book and I'm going to talk about everything. So I'm going to talk about everything. Um, Murder was going to give me a huge chance. Um, going into Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment, uh, AWE, going into their first show, uh, they were bringing in Davey Richards from ROH. And I was getting told that, hey, on our debut show, you're going to wrestle Davey Richards. And Davey Richards was that guy. <laughs> it, it seemed like he just had a line to Georgia because anytime somebody wanted a ROH star at that time, it was Davey. And at that point in time, I think Chip had wrestled Davey. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy Rave had wrestled Davey. So everybody in that that would fit that spot had wrestled Davey already. Um, so they were like, you know, we're we're gonna start you off pretty hot. We're gonna put you against Davey Richards. Oh, okay, cool. Like I was I was pretty baffled by that. But at that point in my life, I had some really uh wild and unfortunate things happened to me um, at that time. And I had, I was dealing with things personally and professionally. Um, and then also I lost what was my fiance at the time uh, to a car wreck. And I literally had a show just a few days after that. And I was like, I, I'm going to wrestle this show, but after that, I'm going to have to take a step back and like handle me and my mental. Uh, and I'm going to talk about mental probably a lot in this because I think that is very important uh, when it comes to any sports activity or media activity or life in general. But I had a lot of people turn out for that, that show that I did. Um, it was like a, we did like an eight-man tag and I wasn't really too much in it. Uh, they just wanted to protect me and where I was. Um, and, you know, we did that match and we call it a night. And I kind of took a, 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 not a step back like this, but just a mini break from what was going on. So unfortunately, I had to make the, the uh, choice to not wrestle Davey on that night. And then what weirdly ended up happening and this is very unfortunate as well, but what ended up happening is Davey didn't even make it to that show because that was right before Davey broke his leg. So he didn't even show up 
that day. Um, so then after some time, the second AWE show was uh, starting and Murdo was like, well, you're going to wrestle me. <laughs> so uh, we developed this whole angle and script with his tag partner and then me and Siler, and like that's how we were going to go into things. So I worked a singles match against Murdo One. Now this was... If there was a, the, uh, a shining moment that started our friendship slash brotherhood and all that, it was probably this match. Because we were pretty cool, but he was also under that impression. I mean, Murder One has done it all. He has done the TV already. He's done the pay-per-views. Uh, he's, he's been that guy. He's wrestled those guys. He's, he, he has the connects to get the connects to get the connects. Like He's done all that. So he is looking at me exactly how I referenced earlier. Like, oh, we got this young kid. I'm going to run him into the ground, this or that, and then, like, call it a fucking day. So we get into the ring, and we're, and we're, go and we're going. Like, Chip told me that murder doesn't really wrestle like this anymore. So it was already very interesting to see that I had sparked that, that kind of motor out of him, even though he doesn't do that anymore. And then all of a sudden... Maybe about a quarter or, th yeah, maybe about a quarter of the way through the match, he gets hurt. And this is another thing that I give kudos to Fred Avery about because he taught me all of these emergency situations. Uh, you know, how to take care of somebody when they're hurt. Or what happens if the referee somehow gets hurt? Or, you know, what happens when someone in the crowd jumps into the ring? Like, all these wild scenarios that you would think would be second nature and you know like what you should do in that situation but not all do so he gets hurt and then of course i know exactly how to get us through the rest of the match most of the time when somebody gets hurt in a match they start to uh you know forget what's going on and all that and it's just taking care of everyone that's involved and that's what happened um and that's when that like ushered everything for us because he was like yo not only did this kid like keep up with me and do all that but when i got hurt he took care of me a lot of people have the mistake of when somebody gets hurt they end up hurting them even more um so that that kind of ushered that whole thing um and then <laughs> we found out that our birthdays are a day apart and and all that and then that just spiraled out so many things so then that ended up uh, running into a tag feud between me and him. Uh, we did singles feuds together. And this went on for quite some time at several different venues, not just AWE, but in several different places. And we got to the point, just like how me and Chip did at the time, me and Murder got to the point where we didn't have to say anything to each other. We knew all of our stuff. Um, he knew mine, I knew his. When we, when we developed something new, we probably figured it out together. Um, and then that, once again, opened up another branch of the world where now I'm getting this continued education from Murder One. I'm getting this continued education from Chip Day. And then also from the spider webs that come from them, uh, Jimmy Rave and other people that were in that circle. And as much as I would like to talk about my matches with Donovan Dijak, uh, David Starr, Jimmy, uh, I had a few with Chip. I, me and Chip went 
30, 35 minutes one time for no reason. We had, we had no reason to do it, but you would have thought it was WrestleMania for us. And we, yeah, we went like 35 minutes. We actually had a heel face swap in the middle of the match because uh, it got to the point where <laughs> he was supposed to be the baby face and I was supposed to be the heel. And then the the crowd flipped it. And then by the end of it, they just appreciated so much that it was one of those like, thank you to both of us. Um, and that's kind of what we wanted to do with the in-ring story. So it's really dope that, you know, we we were able to tell that story. Uh, because it was just a one-off for us in that venue, in that building. So we just decided to have as much fun as possible. Uh, the office said pretty much do what you want. Uh, so we took advantage of that. But as as much as I would like to talk about all those matches, I would have to say with, with me wrestling Cedric so young, that's what gave me the confidence to do all these things the, that I've done. Um and me, me and Cedric still talk to this day. Like we had that one match, but we still we still talk. Uh, we we worked out one time where we were uh, filming in North Carolina, and we went to probably the nicest LA fitness possible. And uh, I was doing a real light day. I typically don't like to train heavy on wrestling days. Um, and he was like, "Boy, you're strong as hell." And I was like, "Cedric, I'm not even like trying to do shit right now. I'm just doing like." some toning and get my my muscles ready for for tonight and he was like okay you know what why is it every time that i see you you gotta try to flex on me like you ain't really doing that much but you really are and i was like cedric it's not that big of a deal boy you at that point in time this was past roh and uh, that's when he was getting rumored to go into uh the fucking tournament where ultimately he ended up getting signed so Every time where he tries to put me up, I'm sitting here like, Cedric, stop. Like, look what you're doing right now. Uh, but, yeah, favorite match. Uh, I, I, I guess I wouldn't be able to say that was my favorite. That was my most important uh, or one of my most important in my career. Um, another question that I ended up getting uh, was my gear influence. Um, I wear a lot of, well, I wore a lot of different gear. Uh, when it came to wrestling and to me it is very important to stand out when you can stand out and that's in anything you're you're not going to be able to stand out tremendously when you're like i don't know working at t-mobile or something but when you have the moments to stand out use them you know when you have a interaction with your customers use that moment to stand out to be the difference and kind of separate yourself from the brand because you are a person in yourself so all of my gear, once I started to get the money to be able to, you know, get my own gear made and find the right gear maker, because that is a pain in the ass. Trust me, gear makers, I appreciate you so much. You do so much for wrestling. But it is, it is a son of a bitch to get very good gear in a timely manner, uh, mainly because there's so few very good gear makers that if you find a very good one, they're more than likely tied to WWE or Impact or now AEW or whatever. And they're going to take their gear in a higher priority. My gear guy uh, was tied up in WWE. So I knew SummerSlam, WrestleMania, uh, 
Survivor Series, like all those times where people like to come out with new gear, I needed to get my shit in months before that because <laughs> I, I know if I try to put in some shit and think I'm going to get it for a Mania show, you're dumb. Like that, That's just not going to happen. So um, a lot of my gear was influenced from things that I like. It's that easy. It's very easy to identify with a person when you can see things that are tangible to that person. So after I moved from the sleeveless MVP little super suit joint, uh, I went to Bikers, which was already kind of close to me because I was just getting out of doing like MMA and I did karate for more than most of my life and all of that. So the Bikers were a very easy transition for me. Then I started wanting to do a little bit more with the Bikers than just like my last name on it. But I was like, you know, it'd be just dope if I could do like a full suit. And it, that was going to be like my special like WrestleMania type show or whatever. I'll come out in a suit. And so I got one suit made and fell in love with, with the whole suit gimmick. Uh, I did the sleeveless zip up. that It almost looked like my original super suit, but it was a two piece. So I could take the top off and just have the, uh, the long tights. And I did one themed off of uh, uh, Power Rangers, where it was the green and white ranger, and Tommy ended up staying to be evil. So he killed Jason, who was taking the white ranger power, and became both. Um, so I thought that was very telling to the character that I was doing at the time, because it was very much so like I killed the hero. Uh, that I, I used to be because I was literally a part of a, a group called the AWE Heroes. Um, I had killed that whole group and I started to go on my own tear before uh, joining the hierarchy, which was another big curve in my wrestling career. So uh, I did that. I also did a, a red suit um, that was kind of like, one, it's my favorite color, so I knew I was always going to do a red suit. Uh, two, I'm a big Flash fan uh, in the comic books and on the television show. So it was part of a Flash suit. And then also, of course, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So that was my nod to like all those things kind of put into one suit. Um, and I really enjoyed that one. I also did a uh, like a full metallic suit. Um, that was another Flash nod to Godspeed. Which was really dope because I did the Godspeed suit and then mm, maybe a few months later, Godspeed started showing up in the Flash TV show. So I'm glad I got a jump on that train because usually when things like that happen, every wrestler comes out with the same gear. Like when Black Panther came out, it was like every other wrestler had Black Panther gear. It happens every time. So I'm glad that I got the jump on that gear before anybody else did. Um, and it was dope. What was hard about a lot of my gear is that I had my gear made by somebody else. So I had my tights and my jacket made by one person and then my kick pads made by another person. Um, and until I started to understand the, the timing difference between them, there'd be a lot of times where I have my full set of gear and then I had to wait like a month and a half for my kick pads or the other way around. Um, and that, that kind of got frustrating, but. That's just because in wrestling, when you get something, <laughs> you're prepared to like show it off right then. Um, and not all the time that that happens. 
Um, another question that I got was, uh, if you could wrestle anybody, uh, who would it be? Now, to me, another one of those like generic wrestling questions. Uh, but of course, it would have to be some of the people that I looked up to going into wrestling. Um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H. Like, uh, of course, all those people. I am very blessed to be able to re- wrestle the people that I have uh, or at least had in-ring interactions with, uh, especially now that a lot of them are friends to close friends and a lot of them have signed to be on bigger platforms. So I look at guys like Donovan Dijak, uh, Kurt Stallion, uh, Cedric. Uh, I got some more in me. I can't, I can't really think of all of them right now. Uh, but I, it, it's just, it's just really dope to see that. And it's really dope to see that I, I was in that situation and I worked hard to stay uh, in that situation um, because a lot of it did not just come because I was in the right place and they were like, oh, just put him on the card against so-and-so. Like, no, I, I worked my ass off in a lot of matches that no one's ever seen and no one ever will. I worked my ass off to be in a lot of positions where people were like, who's this guy two years in and he's getting this match. Like, I wrestled uh, Chase Owens from the Bullet Club. And uh, one, Chase is cool as shit. Uh, but everybody was like, you know, what is, what is this kid just a few years in the business wrestling Chase Owens for? Like, as he had just came back from Japan and he was home for a little bit. Um, and then we went and had some fucking fun. And me and Chase still keep up with each other. Um, it's just one of those things where no matter what you're doing, just bust your ass and do it correctly. You're going to see, it may not be as fast as you want it to, but you're going to succeed in it. Uh, just don't put yourself in a situation where you're not going to succeed. That's also a number one. That's Defend yourself. Defend yourself. Um, but yeah, me and Chase, super dope match. I'm very glad that I just remembered that because I don't think I get to talk about that match um, as much as some of the other ones. Uh, but me and Chase, we, we had a lot of fun. Uh, there was a point in time in my career where I signed with a company in St. Louis um, called NWL. And this was a very interesting company because NWL was its own television, you know, television broadcasted uh, whole division. And they signed us to these contracts. And this was my first ever dealing with a contract signing situation because you know as an independent wrestler you just do your own thing you're an independently contracted worker uh but working with nwl was my first contract it's my first time working uh foreign with tv which is very different than just wrestling anywhere else because you got to remember where your cameras are you got to remember how you know things go how to talk how to deliver to not just the crowd but convey that energy to a camera like all those things uh, also, that was one of when we had first signed. That was one of my longest trips was uh, driving to St. Louis uh, from Atlanta. So that that was also interesting in itself. But what was really fun about NWL was the fact that I got to be a completely different person, and 
With Adrian Armour, it's literally me turned all the way up. So it's still an extension of me. But with NWL, I was Castle. And Castle was this like, no nonsense, real silent, like almost kind of like bodyguard hitman type guy. And of course, I was partnered with Murder One. Um, and his character was like the straight up, no nonsense, like, I want to say pimp, but there's no, there's no pimping, but it, it, it was, it was a very interesting thing that we had did and that they pitched to us. Um, and then we had tailored our characters here and there from what they pitched to what we ended up portraying on television. Uh, but what was really dope is that we also got to try out moves and nuances and promo ideas that we didn't get to do as murder one and adrian armor this was this was a completely different thing um and as castle i didn't have to worry about saying all this wild shit on the mic um i didn't have to worry about doing all of my like wild moves and things of that nature uh i was just this brute <laughs> bodyguard type guy so i just got to go in and hit people and be brutal and 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 that was like a whole different kind of area for me now when they gave me the opportunity because we worked a lot of tag matches or i just did like run-ins and stuff like that um but when they gave me the opportunity i remember i had worked a singles match and they very rarely gave me singles match because me and murder were kind of a package deal and if anyone was the singles guy out of that it was murder so when they had gave me they ended up out of our full year contract they gave me two singles matches and one was in studio and one was at an event Ooh, one was in studio yeah one was in studio one was at an event and um at the studio little theater joint that we did i had worked a singles match and that was one of the first times where a lot of people there plus the like office saw me in a single setting in this character and they're like "Ooh." This kid's kind of good. <laughs> and what was dope is that I didn't have to worry about being this like ultra athletic type guy because I am in a black tank top and slacks and Nikes. You know, like that's literally how gritty the character was. And it was just so easy. And then the one at the event was even more interesting because there was more eyes on it. Um, it was a different setting, so it was also a little more grittier. And I was wrestling someone that was bigger than me, which typically never happens. There's been two times in my career that I've looked at somebody across the ring and they were bigger than me. And one of them was the guy that I wrestled that night, and the other was when I wrestled Dijak. And Dijak was probably the guy that height, strength, all that. I was like, shit. I don't really look up at people very often at all. Um, but there is a picture of me on my Instagram and stuff like that of me just looking straight up. I die jack. And it makes me go like I am 5'8", 5'10", something like that. I'm 6'2". Like <laughs> I'm not even close to that anymore. Um, and in the middle of me wrestling Tijack, he like flung me around. Which let me know that he's not just height, like kid's strong. But anyways, 
uh, when it comes to NWL, that was that was really really fucking fun. Um, and that was my first contracted deal. That was my first TV deal. Um, unfortunately, the company ended up going under, and that is what it was. Uh, but it was really fun while it lasted. I remember they flew us to a KC, um, and me and Murder, <laughs> we just had fucking fun because it was just they flew us, they drove us to our hotel room. We, you know, we got, and what's really wild about this whole, whole thought process is that even in WWE, there is a lot, a lot of wrestlers that don't even get the treatment that I'm about to talk about that we got. You know, most wrestlers in WWE now, they travel on their own, they get their own a hotel room, like all that kind of stuff. Like they, they do it basically how we do it um, on the independent circuit. Like there's almost not much difference, which while you see a lot of independent wrestlers that are getting signed they don't go through that same like hard transition because that's what they've been doing and now that they have the performance center they have a locked in like base that oh okay i just need to move to florida now and they they just work out of there it's even easier than being on the independent circuit so anyways we (laughs) they flew us out to kc um you know picked us up from the airport uh, drove us to our hotel room, chilled at the hotel room, whatever. Uh, I think we had to do some kind of media or something like that. Um, and then after that, it was show day. We did the show, went back to the hotel, got flown out. We drunk hella Hennessy. Look, I don't know what it is about the airport that was over there, but we went to the airport and it was maybe 10 a.m., 11 a.m., something like that. And we just sat down to either grab something real quick to eat or just grab a drink because we're about mm, 15 minutes early for them to start boarding. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's grab a drink before we get up there. So I, uh, the waitress came back over and I said, look, let's get a, uh, let's get a Hennessy and Coke and just call it a day. <laughs> she, I don't know if everybody on here drinks. But she did not get a rocks glass. She did not get a Collins glass. Nothing like that. She pulled out a pint glass and put like three cubes of ice in it. So as I'm, and because I bartended for years, I'm going to watch after I order a drink how they're going to make it. It's literally just ingrained in my brain. So I turn to the bar and I look at her. She pulls out two pint glasses. And I was like, hmm. So they don't like to give people liquor. That's my immediate thought. I'm like, oh, well, she's just going to pour a whole glass of Coke on top of a shot of of Hennessy, and that's going to be it. All right, whatever. We're going on a plane. Like, I'm not here to get drunk, so I'm cool with that. She puts a few cubes of ice in it. I'm like, "Hmm, well, it's going to be a lot of Coke. All right. She, with no pour spout on this Hennessy, just starts pouring this bitch in this cup. And I'm like, and I just turned to murder. I was like, yo, we're going to be drunk as shit on this plane. He was like, what you talking about? By the time he had turned around, she was already starting to put coke in. So he didn't see where the Hennessy was. And I knew if we <laughs> didn't time it correctly, we were going to be drunk as shit before even walking into the plane. So we had, we had got about halfway through the drink. And we are like, hmm, yeah, let's go ahead and close out. And finish this up and get at least get towards our gate by the time we got 
buckled up in our seat, drunk as shit. I could not believe that I paid $20 for two pint glasses of Hennessy. And we just got drunk as shit. And then I don't even remember, I don't remember flying back to Atlanta. I just remember the fact that I went to sleep, I woke up, and I grabbed our shit. And then our ride was there in Atlanta. And that was it. Uh, that was one of the wildest. For no reason, like we had no reason to uh, even drink, let alone drink that much. Because for NWL was some of the easiest wrestling that we had did. Uh, very, very easy. Because a lot of our stuff was so gimmick based. We didn't have to wrestle too hard unless it was like finally coming to the cusp of some of some wild shit. But uh, that was a really dope part of my career. Uh, it was really dope being uh, being able to jump into another personality um especially in the fact when i would have nw <laughs> nwl bookings uh between regular bookings i remember there was a time where um uh, i had i had a booking in indiana then we had to go from indiana to um st louis then st louis to brooklyn i'm pretty sure that was the trip Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. Or, no, I think it was St. Louis to Indiana, Indiana to Brooklyn. That's what it was. And you want to talk about a travel weekend from hell. After a while, it was like, bro, I, I, I don't even want to see these people anymore. I don't want to be in a car in here no more. And wrestling will teach you a lot about how much you can stand being in the car or how long you can stand like looking at your phone. Because even after a while, looking at your phone is like, I don't refresh my timeline like 300 fucking times. And it's been the same 12 statuses. Like you start looking at other people like, damn, you ain't got shit to talk about because I need something to read. Like it's, it's really shitty, but it was a lot of fun. Um, that's when I wrestled in Brooklyn uh, for the first time. And that was really dope. Um, got to run into a lot of people that I knew up there um, that tried to get me in the scene up there. And uh, I stepped away before that happened. <laughs> uh, but uh, what else can we talk about? What other questions do I have? Let's check Twitter. Or if you're listening, jump in the chat, ask a question that I haven't answered already. Then, you know, we can, we can just keep this ball motherfucking rolling. Uh, oh. Well, I didn't know this, but fucking LeGarrette Blunt retired. Um, I don't know why that didn't hit my news feed at all, but there's some random football news for you. LeGarrette Blunt has retired, a.k.a. Mr. Pass the Blunt. If you've never watched me and Murder play, uh, play fucking Madden, then you wouldn't know. But Mr. LeGarrette Blunt was quite a pain in my ass. When it came to fucking Madden. I'm actually about to uh, send that message to him right now. Uh, but anyways, another question that I've been asked before. Uh, is. <laughs> and this one's, this one's kind of funny. Uh, was why I joined the hierarchy. Now this is a more in-depth question about my career. And not just like one of those what if questions. So the hierarchy 
is a very interesting group. So before I was in the hierarchy, I was in this group that I mentioned previously called the AWE Heroes. Um, and it was me, Siler Cross, and kind of a collective group of different baby faces in the company at the time. Uh, JT Dunn, um, Martin Stone, who you guys now know as, why can't I think of Martin's WWE name right now? Uh, damn, I feel like a dick. Um, damn. Danny Birch. There we go. Uh, so yeah, AW Heroes was like me, uh, Silo Cross, JT Dunn, Martin Stone, aka Danny Birch, uh, Cedric Alexander, uh, Owen Knight. Uh, I think that was pretty much it. I was I was kind of the like vocal leader of this group, and it was all like we're going towards the hierarchy. Who was? Um, Murder One, Ship Day, Jimmy Rave, um, Iceberg. Uh, and then they had some, you know, here or there's that was connected to the family. Um, and I had gotten my ass beat, uh, jumped, beat up. This all goes back to kind of that original first feud of me uh, wrestling with Murder One a lot and then getting involved with his tag partner. And then it just escalated from there. And Murder One and Jimmy Rave started the hierarchy and it was just this this family and and literally it was a family because uh murder had brought in all these people into the wrestling world uh, when it comes to jimmy and chip and, and all so it 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 made sense for this group to be this group um and i was just kind of pulling a pulling people to be this avenger squad to go against the hierarchy and after so long uh, we we lost all the time and we had promising moments lost all the time and we got to a oh man this ignorant elimination match i feel like there's 30 people in it but i think it was a eight man eight man elimination tag i want to say it was eight man it could have been 10 man there was just so many people um but it came down to uh, once we all came out and people were getting eliminated, it all came down to me and Jimmy. Um, and we went through it. Jimmy beat me, of course, because I said we always lose. Uh, and then he offered me a spot in the hierarchy. I never answered. I just walked away. Um, and that was kind of the start of people thinking I was going to go that way. And it wasn't until maybe a year later that that payoff happened and I joined uh, because during that time I took the heroes, I imploded that group. Um, I had split and did my own thing. Everyone was thinking, okay, hierarchy move right here. Um, and that didn't happen. I just kind of did my own thing, did my own matches. Um, and <laughs> that, that was fun. In itself, just because I, I was so long part of this whole AWE heroes thing, and the there was a lot of a lot of my career, I was a heel, I was a bad guy. People didn't like me, and I was able to be able to not have to do these social interactions and talk to everybody. Now, now, good. Let me be completely honest. I love my fans. 
I love the interactions that I've had with my fans. There are fans that I now consider friends that I talk to. We shoot the shit, whether if it's about wrestling, football, whatever. But man, there is sometimes where it's like, you've been on the road for 40 hours, it feels like, and then uh, they want to talk to you about another wrestler, you know, like stuff like that. And it's just like, bro, like, you're not even here to talk to me. You haven't bought any of my t-shirts. I don't don't really know why we're having this conversation. Um, But as a heel, that doesn't happen. People just don't talk to you. And it's, it's a necessary, unnecessary evil. It's, it's honestly really good. I I enjoyed it. Uh, But, and then during this whole lone wolf thing, I was literally like an independent party by myself. Because the heroes were still trying to struggle. Like, Siler took the helm then, and he tried to pull them together and still fight the hierarchy. And then the hierarchy was doing their own thing, and then I was just there. I was there literally taking out whoever was around me, because at that point, I was pushing towards the title. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to get the title. I don't give a fuck who's affiliated with what. Whoever has the title, I'm getting it. And at that point, uh, Jimmy Rave had it. So that was the whole plan. And it was not until... Like I said, eight months to a year later, uh, I worked a a beat the clock match against David Starr. Um, and I beat him with like seconds left. And <laughs> what was what was so funny about this is that going out going out into that match, uh, I wore a blue and pink. Adrian Armour shirt. And I've always been told that bright colors and flashy colors like that always signal babyface. And at that point in time, I was still doing the lone wolf thing, but I knew against David, I was more of a babyface just because I was the hometown guy. And on top of that, um, the fans started to like me a little bit just because they were starting to find out more of me and that like sugar Cody me as the baby face. So I go out there, we do the match. I beat him within a couple seconds. I had a lot of friends out there. So it was like, Oh shit. Like it was, it was a cool little moment. I get to the back and I mean, maybe not even 30 seconds of a breath. I get to the back knowing that I did the beat the clock. I'm getting a title match against Jimmy. Like all these things, and this these are candid, real emotions. Like this isn't kayfabe or nothing like that. No, I'm literally walking to the back. And I'm like, okay, number one contender did the beat the clock, cool. <laughs> and I get told, hey man, uh, we got a segment for you later in the show. You're joining the hierarchy, and I was like, yo, what in the fuck? Like I was, I was like, what's happening? <laughs> Now, I knew sooner than later this was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be right then. And I wasn't like, what the fuck, piss? I was like, yo, what the fuck? How are we going to do this? Because I just went out there and almost turned myself babyface in this win, like completely. I'm like, how the hell are we going to get? And then all of a sudden I thought about (laughs) that first flip that I did going from the Black Chair Brigade to, you know, everyone knowing that it was Adrian Palmer. And I was like, well, there's no mask involved in this. Like people know who I am. Like what the hell? And then that's what started this all. Uh, later that night, 
Jimmy worked a uh, a three way with it was him, Tommaso Ciampa, and uh, Martin Stone. And <laughs> notice that I pointed out what colors my T-shirt was uh, when I went out the first time. They were blue and pink. I tell you, I, I pay attention to these little things. So once I found out that I was essentially going to flip completely heel now and join the hierarchy, I found my black and pink Adrian Armour shirt. So it got to a point in the match where uh, Jimmy, who everyone knows I have tailored history with at this point in time, knows that I'm chasing the title that he has. He grabs a title and it looks like he's about to uh, give a belt shot to Martin Stone. Tommaso is somewhere on the ground or something like that. I run in, slide, take the title from Jimmy. Everybody's like, oh shit, okay, here's his big baby face moment. Like he's finally about to be that that baby face to go against the heel champion because he just took the title from Jimmy. Now Jimmy's probably about to get rolled up, lose the title, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> Then I take the title, turn around, and hit Martin with it. Uh, the match goes on for about 20 to 30 seconds uh, more, and then Jimmy ends up getting the pin, keeping the title. And there's a picture that I've hung on to for a while that has me right behind Jimmy holding up the two fingers for the first time with Jimmy, you know, the godfather of the hierarchy, like all that kind of stuff. And boy, oh boy. That was one of the first times that I did some kind of heel flip and my inboxes, my social media pages were not fucking happy at all. Uh, it was a very fun time for me. What, what was even more crazy is that people were mad at me because Martin was about to get signed like almost right then. And I think Tommaso was on his way too. So it was like, a match that had two people that were about to get called up like right then uh, in there. And when I did the belt shot on Martin, he was completely safe from the belt shot. But I had threw the belt down when it happened and one of the side plates cut Martin on the eye. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Full open book. Like, we're really talking about this. Like, there's no bullshit on this. So, <laughs> you would have thought that I cut him open from the belt shot, or you would have thought that, you know, wrestling, oh, maybe he gagged himself or whatever. No, 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 no. It was like pure crazy accident, but when he got up, it gave that even more, like, validity to the situation. Uh, so, oh, what a time. But that was me joining the hierarchy. Um, why I joined the hierarchy? Well, you just kind of learned why, because I didn't even know it was going to happen. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, me and Murder were very close at the time, so it was only bound to happen that we were going to do something together and not just against each other. Um, we took the hierarchy brand to bigger, bigger levels um, because I'm a huge branding and branding developing and promoting guy. Uh, he's like an idea genius. Um, so we just put that together and we just started rolling with it. Um, when we started bringing in people... Uh, to align with us or be with us or stuff like that. I started getting even bigger. And then we did uh, Hierarchy Junior, which was pretty much like our uh, Young Justice, 
Young Justice League and stuff like that of us. Like we just found people that were pretty much like extensions of us or people that listened to us very well in the locker room um, and pulled them together and literally helped um, most of them get bookings, uh, help some of them in the ring or in their promo ideas. I mean, the hierarchy is still going right now. I still have it in my Twitter bio. <laughs> uh, so, you no, know, the, the hierarchy is uh, something really dope. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, I got to sink my teeth into that whole situation because <laughs> if I did not do that um, or if I didn't believe in that switch, when it happened, um, I don't think my career would have gone anywhere uh to where it went because like i've mentioned me and dijack which i can't remember his name either but he's part of that group i think it's like tack or it's not dak i think it's tack it's really bad all all of the names for that group is really bad but dijack's my guy um but yeah wrestling dijack who else did i wrestle during that uh, I did a four-way with me, Owen Knight, David Starr, Jimmy Rave, um, which I think that was the match after I won the Beat the Clock. So everybody was like, oh, now he's just like a bodyguard for Jimmy in this four-way. Um, it, it was a lot of very interesting dynamics that happened in this company. And and AWE was just a a fun ride in general, which is why I decided that was going to be the place that I had my last match. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, this is one question I'm going to get to before my break, because I think we're just going to go right into like football stuff after this. Uh, but one question that I got was, what was the most important thing I felt I did um, in wrestling? And this is actually a better than, you know, shitty question. I... This is going to sound really cliche um, because we're talking about wrestling. But I held a singles title in Georgia longer than anyone ever has. Um, and independent wrestling, a lot of people kind of overlook that and be like, oh, it's just a just an indie title, blah, blah, blah. Um, but... It actually isn't because I know that my name is going to be stamped in that situation for a very long time. Um, I held a title for a company called Universal Independent Wrestling for over 750 days. I think it was like 772 or three was the uh, longest that I held it. And uh, <laughs> it's a very long time. Uh, but before that, uh, the longest title stint was like 600 something days. Um, and I was also the youngest, the youngest to win that title and the longest to hold it. Uh, people that held the title were, uh, you know, Murder One, Gold Dust. Um, I think Jeff Hardy held it at one time. Um, and then a bunch of people in that scene and in that area, um, Terry Lawler, a lot of people. But that, that was, that was probably the most, important thing that I did. I found out a lot about myself uh, during that time because, you know, a lot of shows I would 
be on for a couple weeks and then I would be off off their show for you know a month or so or whatever and then come back and you kind of can keep yourself fresh that way. As a champ, I was on every single show. Um, wrestling, every single show. Doing cross promotions, doing their uh, fundraising shows, their charity shows, all that kind of shit. Um, so it was a big deal. I really learned a lot about myself. For a while with the title, I was just a guy with the title. Like I, I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was the guy of the company. And that's mainly because how the way I won the title made it seem that way. Um, but that was probably the most important thing that I did because it's the thing that's going to stick around that area, you know, or if I were to ever come back to wrestling, especially in that area, you know, that's, that's one of those things that is mentioned immediately on any kind of commentary broadcast or whatever it is. Um, I'm not just that guy, Adrian Armour, that's been around like, no, he was the longest reigning champion in the Southeast. That's it. <laughs> he was the youngest at the time as well. And then also wrestled Cedric Alexander, David Starr, Donovan Dijak, uh, you know, partnered with A.R. Fox, J.T. Dunn, Martin Stone, also wrestled against Martin Stone. Uh, you know, just tons of things out there. Uh, so we're going to get to a break because uh, I've kind of run through the questions that I picked out I wanted to answer. Uh, some of them were just kind of repeats of some. Others were just things that you could go back an episode or so ago and get an answer from. So um, I'm going to do that. And then on the other side of this break, we're going to do Straight quick pick em football about uh, tomorrow because typically it's Thursday, but now we can do the most solid locks possible uh, because all the games are, are tomorrow, which is very interesting. I, I might do Saturday. Now, I don't know if I'll keep doing Saturday shows, but on that note, on the other side of this break, we're going to get to that. We're going to talk some fucking foosball. And then if you guys got anything to say in the chat and all that kind of shit, bump it up. Thank you. 
rather right. come and get like me. We ballin', ballin', sippin' on me and Jay, and I'm leanin' like MJ. Shout to Kenny, man. Lyrical Gina, them all mofos. Scale, that's the logo. LT, that be the name. Entertainment, that's my ammo. Order a bottle of XO, pump PDA. Oh, I love that life going hard all night in the club. No fights, just me and the fam and the mood just right. Drinks right now, wasted. Shots of control now, faded. Got the whole team with me, plus couple downs, and I can't change it. Light strobing all around the place. My eyes can focus, I'm trippy. But I'm having a real good time. You feel like I feel that you can bear with me. Yeah, I know my name. And I know the sound is insane. And the club is going ridiculous, going ish. Hell yeah, it's jumping, no trampoline, no spring hurdles. It's on the night. This is a free game club and after party anthem. We don't stop, pop that, don't stop. Pop that, pop that, stand us. Set for a double cup, go ahead and take a sip. And wake up the next morning with the thoughts of saying this. All I know, 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 yeah, is we gon' have a party tonight, 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 tonight. All I know, 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 yeah, is we gon' have a party tonight, tonight, tonight. We came to the party, we came to the party, we came to the party. Last call, what's the last call for this venue here? But the after party's just popping off. We're gonna call around. And you know my situation Go to sleep, wake up, do it all again Same thing, new day, new clothes, new spot This routine here will never end And the only reason I do it Is to show you you can have fun with life I grind hard and shine hard Every day, why not party hard all night? You only live once, you gotta push hard for that dream Before somebody knocks you off Handle your business and then you will witness your work or pay off You can do what you want So now I'm stunting I'm getting money My fam is with me This life is lovely Step forward, double cup Go ahead and take a sip And wake up the next morning Shout out to the real LT. That is his track. One of my homeboys, Charlie. Man, I told y'all we we putting the family on. We not doing we not doing nothing else but bringing the family with us. And that's my guy. Uh, so let's let's get into football. Let's man, oh man, oh man, man, oh man. Also, before I get into all that, uh, to continue to shout out my guy. You can follow him on Instagram at the real CJ3. Once again, at the real CJ3. You can follow him on Instagram. Um, and then you know, hey, just 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 promote everybody that we promote. Like I said, we putting the family on. We making sure that everybody good. Um, so on that, let's let's talk about some football. Let's 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 get ignorant with this because I'm gonna go ahead and let you know. After what we saw last week. Actually, let's let's talk about what we saw on Wednesday. Let's go ahead and just start with this. Uh, because, you know, usually Thursday, um, I, I talk about the upcoming week. And since we didn't have a show Thursday, and we had the debacle that happened on Wednesday, uh, let's talk about it. So I'm, I'm watching this game on Wednesday. And if you don't know, it was Raven Steelers. 
and it was just bad. And a lot of people are blaming, they're blaming on the fact that like, oh, the Ravens-Steelers game was bad because uh, they didn't, they had, you know, two two days off where they couldn't practice or the game kept getting delayed. So the teams were off or they were mentally over it and just wanted to get this game done. There are so many excuses being said. But the one excuse that cannot be made is how in the hell did the Steelers almost lose this game? It, it it literally doesn't make any sense. I have I have talked over and, and I I've given the Steelers probably a break over the past two weeks or so about this same subject, and it, it they haven't proven me wrong. This team has not shown me anything besides the fact that you can perform. <sighs> at a mediocre level on a mediocre schedule. That's it. Like, I, I'm not going to talk about your schedule lineup anymore. You, there's nothing you can do about that. You play the teams that you, that you play. And so far, you've beaten who you're supposed to beat. But it's how it happens is what tells us who you are as a football team. And right now, what you are telling us, who you are as a football team, is that you can hang around, but you can't run the ball. Your receivers, for some reason, have hands made, made out of fucking doorknob handles. Like, I, I don't understand why they can't catch on a consistent rate. They can just catch when they absolutely need to. And you're not beating up on these teams that... You should be. The Ravens were out any star player you could think of. And I'm not considering Hollywood Brown a star player. Out any star player you can think of. And it took Tracy McSorley, who I started calling Tracy McGrady by the end of the game. Tracy McGrady almost beat, almost won. How? How is that happening? How is that happening in a situation where you have your starting QB, you have your offensive weapons outside of James Conner, you have your defense, and it got to the point where RG3 was kind of existing in the game. Like, he wasn't really doing anything wild. He threw an interception. Like, and then Big Ben also doing the same thing through an interception in, in the end zone, uh, like just being around. And then Tracy McGrady goes, goes in the pocket, runs off for one, then throws a dot down the field. Hollywood Brown almost fucked it up by overcomplicating his running route after the catch. And then there was a quick touchdown. And then all it was was, oh, okay, um, if the Ravens, who have done it several times in this game, force the Steelers to go three and out, uh, you might have a shot to win this game. And if the Steelers would have lost to a third, a third-string quarterback, at first it was, oh, what happens if they lose to RG3? Well, RG3 has beaten them before, so 
Eh. But if you lose to Tracy McSorley, that's a rough one. But you did. I guess kudos. I guess kudos in the fact you didn't get beat by a third-string quarterback. I guess kudos to the fact that the game was way closer than it ever should have been. I guess kudos in the fact that the Steelers somehow are the worst undefeated team we have ever seen. How? I've explained it week after week. This is nothing new. And Steelers, I don't expect you to play Washington and it be that coming out party. Because now Bud Dupree's out. You know, TJ Watt is your defensive player of the year. But Bud Dupree is a good reason why TJ Watt gets a lot of free looks. Gets a lot of one-on-one instead of double teams. That is now not the case. It's only a matter of time. And I would hate, I would hate for it to happen in the playoffs. I'd rather you guys get at least one, two knocked out before that. And I don't really care if Washington beats you. Because that honestly does nothing for the Chiefs. I need an AFC team to beat you. If the Bills beat you, I'm cool with it. Now, if Washington and the Bills beat you, now we have a lot to talk about. But whatever. Let's talk about what's happening tomorrow. So 1 o'clock, Saints-Falcons. Um, you know, it was funny. Uh, I, I was home for, and what I mean by home is I, I went to Atlanta for a day or two, and I was talking to my dad about football. He's a diehard. Falcons fans, like to the point where he feels he has to prove to me he's still a Falcons fan and I'm his son. Um, because even as we were talking, he he was like, Well, you know, I'm a diehard Falcons fan. And he took off his jacket to show me this Falcon shirt that I gave him for Christmas. So I was very confused. And not this Christmas, this was years ago. So I was very confused on why he did that, like small flex, even though it's not a flex at all. Uh, he was just like, well, you know, this is what we need to do. And we're, we're sitting here talking about Falcons football. And you can see him progressively getting more and more angry and depressed at the same time. And my dad is usually always my, like, thermometer when it comes to how Falcons fans should feel. Because he's very, sometimes he can be obnoxious, but he's very realistic about the Falcons and their moves and their potential and all that. Because... And what I mean by obnoxious, there, I mean, my dad called Mahomes a bust. Um, he said that we, we actually had a $100 bet that he still hasn't cashed out on. Uh, Mahomes starting year, he told me that we would not go uh, any better than 8-8. Eight and eight. Well, obviously he was wrong. And then he told me that we also would not make it to the Super Bowl with Mahomes. Well, we won, so... There was a lot of money that he, <laughs> and I'm still owed. And I actually, I should have told him to cash out on that right now because it'd be real nice at the moment. But he is finally out on Matt Ryan. It took him this long. He is finally out on Matt Ryan, which I find hilarious because I was never in. On Matt Ryan, even even the year that they made it to the Super Bowl and they had the best offense, I was like, I'm looking, I'm looking at these games, and Matt Ryan's not the reason why, you know. So my dad finally admitted to me he is out 
on Matt Ryan. He doesn't want anything to do with Matt Ryan. He wants the next head coach that's going to come in to blow everything up, get rid of him. And I had to tell him that no matter who that next head coach is going to be, they could possibly blow everything up. Matt Ryan's probably going to be the only one still there. You know, Julio, you can move off of. He's he's old. He's not old, but he is older for a wide receiver that's not taking care of himself because he keeps getting hurt. So that's an issue. Uh, You'll probably keep Calvin Ridley, maybe. But if somebody puts out the right offer for him, mm, fuck it. Uh, Half of that defense gets hurt every single year. So you can probably move off of whoever. The offensive line that you've been drafting for the past five to six years still looks like paper mache. Uh, but you have old, expensive-ass Matt Ryan sitting there still collecting a check. I don't know if you want to pay him that money and then move off of him. I don't know anyone that's going to take that contract. What, are you going to see Matt Ryan in a Bears uniform? They already have Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. If you put them together, I guess, maybe you have Matt Ryan, but uh, shit, that's not great. You can see the Jets with them. No, they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. Or do a very Jets thing and trade out of the number one pick thinking that they found a steal at a lower pick and they're going to fuck up and draft the next Mitch Trubisky. Who knows? But the Falcons, uh, you can watch this game with background noise on because whether if it's Taysom Hill, whether if it's Drew Brees, whether if it's Jameis Winston, whether it's whoever it may be, Saints are going to win that game. And I, I, I get it. The Falcons are on a high right now because they blew through the Raiders. Look, I had already said how I felt about that. This Raiders team is not a complete team to play around the league. They're just not. They are built to be able to hang in with the Chiefs. That doesn't mean that they're built to be able to beat every team. And Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs and that defense just had a really bad day. Oh, yeah, it's because they thought they won the Super Bowl in week five. Mm, What a shame. So, of course, I'm picking the Saints over the Falcons. That shouldn't shouldn't even be a real debate. Jags-Vikings, who cares? Because no one knows who the Vikings are and everyone knows who the Jags are. The Jags do not want to win games anymore. They are competing with the Jets on who is going to be able to draft first. But the Jags have just decided to be the pesky team that they're not just going to throw games. They're going to be very competitive and lose. I don't even know what the fuck that means, but that's what they're doing. Uh, The Vikings, they are nothing without Dalvin Cook. And it's obvious. Anytime he has a tweaked ankle or he's not playing or whatever it may be, Boy, that <laughs> that team looks so bad. So bad. Um, so I'm taking the Vikings because the Jags don't want to win. Uh, Browns, Titans. You, when you look at their records and you look at the base of both teams, this should be a very like old school dueling running backs back and forth. Like you got King... Derrick Henry on one side. And then you got the combo of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the other side, which honestly, if you put Chubb and Hunt 
into one person, you pretty much have Derrick Henry. To me, it's going to come down to one or two throws that can this quarterback hit him or can that one. And honestly, this sounds crazy, but I'm putting my money into Ryan Tannehill because Baker Mayfield has missed some of the worst wide open first downs, touchdowns, third down, very crucial situations. And I'm not talking about they were wide open with a little pressure in his face. or It was wide open and a defender was breaking on the route and it could have been. No, no, no. I'm talking about wide the fuck open in HD, 4K, 8K, whatever you can get. And Baker Mayfield is stuck on dial up. He, he, he just can't get it there. So I'm banging on Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Um, I think they are probably the least talked about team. That's probably the scariest right now. Uh, just because they have their identity. They know who they are. Once again, one big thing that I've always banked, uh, said and banked on this entire time is continuity. They have it. Uh, and Titans are somebody to really look at. Lions, Bears? <laughs> Fuck you. I'm not talking about that. I'm not doing that. Uh, the Bengals, Dolphins, I could almost give the same exact reaction. Besides the fact, I'm starting to look at Tua a little sideways right now. Because he is being, they, they have their quarterback situation questionable right now because Tua is dealing with a thumb injury on his throwing hand. And uh, it's causing a situation where Fitz, Fitzpatrick may be playing again instead of Tua. And I don't know. I, I, I just don't know if I agree with that. I also don't know if this thumb injury is really a real thing. Uh, because, you know, I, I said they pulled him due to protection after seeing what happened to Joe Burrow. And now I, I think we've gone from protection to coddling. Um, and that just doesn't really sit well with me. Um, if, you want, if you want Fitz to play, just say Fitz's going to play. If you don't think Tua's ready, just say Tua's not ready. If you're saying you don't want him to take the hits, just say that. But don't be like, oh, well, the swelling on his thumb has gone up and down, and he can grip the ball on Tuesday, but on Wednesday it was starting to fall out. Like, sh shut up. You either want the kid to play or not. Because you had Fitzpatrick, who is playing for you now. You had him say just weeks ago that his heart was broken when he found out he wasn't starting anymore. This is a man that is a journeyman and pretty much pretty much a backup quarterback where he goes. Then he steps in and does the whole four or five game winning streaks and then has like two where he throws like three pick sixes and they're like, all right, get him the fuck out. But you have him starting to find his identity and fill this team and the team is coming around him and playing. And you're like, no, the kid's about to start. And he's like, well, fuck, this just broke me. And then you're like, hey, remember when you said you were hurt a few weeks ago? Um, like emotionally hurt? Uh, Mood that shit aside, you starting again. <laughs> How many times are you going to do that with him? I, I mean, obviously, I think the Dolph Dolphins win no matter what quarterback they have playing because, well, the Bengals lost Joe Burrow, and that was literally the only thing that was keeping them competitive. <sighs> what a time.
What a time. Colts, Titans. Uh, Colts should roll over this. Uh, once again, I, I am continuing my campaign on get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. Uh, Bill Belichick, I am going to ask you every week until you make the move. Uh, I, I broke it down for you simply um, earlier this week. You are literally running a game plan. You and Josh McDaniels are running this game plan right now to this day with Cam Newton that Deshaun Watson would thrive in. Deshaun Watson would thrive in the system that they are running right now in New England. You know who isn't? Cam Newton. He is one year, one million dollars. As soon as that clock expires, don't look at the draft. Don't look at who's, who's on your bench. Look at that motherfucker in Houston, Deshaun Watson, because everyone from his team is gone. If they didn't get traded, if they didn't get released, then they got in this PED scandal and uh, they're out for the season or uh, get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. The Texans don't deserve him. I don't want to see Deshaun Watson turn into Matt Stafford. And that's almost where we are. Raiders Jets, this will be the Raiders ego game, obviously. They'll, they'll get their shit together and be back to the noisy-ass, annoying-ass Raiders. But they're going to play the Jets, and it's like, that's it. There's not going to be too much substance behind it. It's just that's going to be it. Uh, Jets, Seahawks, I meant Giants, Seahawks. See, who fucking cares? They're almost the same team. Um, the Giants are on a backup quarterback. Who fucking cares? Uh, Russell Wilson is now declined so much that he is completely out of the and I don't want to say decline so much like he's playing like a bum but he's not at MVP level anymore so he is completely out of that conversation and for people that are saying he's still in the conversation are just holding on to old news because at this point if you don't believe and this is not the fanboy in me this is not the homer in me but if you don't believe Patrick Mahomes is the runaway MVP at this point Stop watching football and don't ever listen to my show ever again because you, you, you cannot think or compute at the level that I run this show at or that the NFL runs. And the NFL sometimes does some really dumb shit. But literally, if they don't give Mahomes the MVP this year, it's, it's the Michael Jordan rules. It's, it's Jordan all over again. It's Oh, well, you know, he already has one. You can't just keep giving it to him. I mean, even last year, I thought it was on a whim that they gave it to Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson didn't break Vic's rushing record, I would have been like, ah, for real? And they, and, they, and they see now. Because they say the MVP is a regular season record, but literally Mahomes' numbers wasn't the same just because he missed two and a half games. <laughs> Now you see he won AFC Player of the Month during the month he had his bye week. Stop. Just stop it. Now you have in the Kansas City Chiefs a top five passer and two top five receivers. And one of them is the tight end. Stop playing with the boys. And Offensive Player of the Year, might as well give it to Kelsey. Everyone's saying Dalvin Cook. Everyone's saying Alvin Kamara. Offensive player of the year. 
you get at it. You get at the Travis Kelsey. He's about to go in Denver. In Denver, he's going to go for his fifth 1,000 yard season. He's, he's in the top five receiving, and he's going to be on a playoff bound team. Give it to him. You're tripping. Uh, and you see what's funny? Uh, I was supposed to talk about Giant Seahawks, and all I did was talk about how Russell Wilson's not going to win the MVP. It tells you how much people care about this game. Uh, Seahawks win. Giants suck. Um, anyways, Rams, Cardinals. Now, what's very interesting about this is that the Cardinals offered up their facility or their field or whatever to the 49ers uh, because right now the 49ers don't have a place to play. Another team that's dead, by the way. The 49ers are trash. Um, but Rams, Cardinals, this will be very interesting because both of these teams are kind of like on the cusp of either being really good or just not doing much else than what they've done so far. Um, I'm honestly going to pick the Cardinals in this one. I think uh, I think they have a little more juice than the Rams do, even though the Rams have uh, they've kind of gotten their shit together. I, I've enjoyed them getting their shit together, but hey, we'll see. Patriots, Chargers, it's very weird to see a Patriots game and think, who cares? That's kind of where we are at this point. Uh, Cam's not performing anywhere close. They won this last game uh, off of literally can't like they won. They beat the Cardinals by Bill Belichick coaching his ass off. That was it. Um, had nothing to do with Cam. Uh, so I'm going to say Chargers because I think Justin Herbert. Ah, no, nope. nope, never mind. Because I just remembered this is now Bill Belichick going back to back against young quarterbacks. Justin Herbert may get suffocated. So I have to pick Chargers, not because of Cam, but because of Bill. Oh, what a shame. Uh, Eagles, Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to have another day where he puts up, uh, you know, three, four touchdowns and, and walks off the field very, you know, joyous because the only thing the Eagles have to invest in is the defense that played against the Seahawks. But their offense is so atrocious that the the defense can't even believe that they can go and win games because it was said on broadcast that the defense is, you know, talk to Carson Wentz and they're going to help make plays and all that. They also said that same bullshit about the Bears and Mitch Trubisky. Oh, we're going to help you out so much and we're going to. They did everything that they could, and their offense could do nothing. And literally the exact same situations in Chicago and in Philly. It's so bad. It's so bad. The Eagles... Look, Packers by a 1,000. I'm done talking about that. (laughs) And then also this week is a very weird one because we have two Monday games and then a Tuesday game. And like always, I'm going to skip the Chiefs game until last, but... So we have the Washington football game uh, team against the Steelers Monday at five o'clock. Um, I look. I think Washington has the correct pieces to beat the Steelers. One, their front seven is ridiculous, um, but their secondary isn't that great. Um, 
so that's kind of a mismatch. Like you, you're gonna have to get to Ben now. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, they can get. To, these are not your typical, uh, you know, linebackers, D tackles, and things of that. They can hit. They're not going to be the ones that Big Ben can just shake off or kind of stumble away from. No, when Chase Young's flying at you with that speed, he's he can hit you. It'll be very telling to see what that offensive line is going to do with that. Because I don't, to my knowledge, they have not really run against a pass rush like that. The Ravens is probably the closest, but the Ravens is a very overhyped pass rush. They're they're schemed to pass rush, not really talented pass rush. So Washington has the weapons. They have the pass rush. They have, they can run the football in different ways. Uh, and the Steelers are showing that they're not as stout against the run as they used to be. And then also they're facing a quarterback that is very smart. Alex Smith is not RG3 or Lamar Jackson or you know, all, all these other quarterbacks that just are not as good is like, uh, all, all of the Steelers' <laughs> opponents' quarterbacks have been pretty bad. Alex Smith has the better football IQ than all of them. So do I think Washington is going to win? Probably not, just because how much faith can I put into Washington? But it should make four more com- – actually, who fucking cares? The Steelers make every game competitive. So that is what it is. Um, Bills 49ers. Bills, this is this is their ego game before the Steelers game. And the reason why I say that is because they play the 49ers on Monday. Then they see the Steelers primetime uh, on Sunday. So they got two primetime games back-to-back. Uh, the 49ers team is basically like a skeleton crew of that team. And, you know, usually when you speak of skeleton crew, you have the... You have just the amount of needed people possible, and they're usually the better ones of their job. But in this, that's not the case. It's just the bare amount of people that they have to play. None of them are really the best at their job. (laughs) And that's what the 49ers are. And then the Bills, they're good. The Bills are actually good. So you're going to get to see the Bills have this little ego game and then go against the undefeated Steelers if Washington doesn't topple them um, on primetime. And we'll get to see the Steelers again on primetime and see what happens. Uh, Cowboys-Ravens will be on on Tuesday. So I'll probably I'll do a game preview for that one on Tuesday because that'll be like game time show, whatever. Uh, but Broncos-Chiefs. Um, All right, let's talk about it. The quarterbacks will be back uh, for the Broncos, so the Chiefs will not be in a hilarious situation where it will only be a wide receiver at quarterback. Uh, But with that, I'm going to be real, the Chiefs have to step up. Um, Yes, they beat the Buccaneers, and yes, it was a (laughs) highlight show of a game, but that was very early. If you would have took the way that they played in the second half um, and continued that way through other games, they're not winning games. Um, it was very complacent. There's some very interesting calls that were made too early and after the game 
Um, you know, they were second, third, fourth and goal um, and did not once hand the ball off to Le'Veon Bell or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on the goal line, decided to kick. And it's just very, very passive um, for for me. Now, I understand that you want to put the ball in your best player's hand, and that would be Patrick Mahomes. And when it came time to put the game away and you needed one more first down, you did just that. But we got to figure out what we're doing on the goal line because it it's, it's, not, it's not consistent. We have two very good shifty running backs. You would think we could, we could do that. I know there is a traumatic, uh, horrible flashback experience of Pat getting hurt during a QB sneak, but a QB sneak could happen right there. It's just those those are the things that I'm worried about. Now, am I worried about it in this game? No. Um, I don't think this uh, this should be a good primetime showing. I'll just say that. I don't really say too much else about our games. Uh, but with all of that being said, this is quite the interesting show because um, I felt like I talked a whole lot in that first half. And most of it was not about football at all, which is usually what this has turned into. Um, So with all that being said, I think I'm going to wrap this up. I will see you guys on Tuesday. Back on, We'll be back on the normal schedule Tuesday and Thursday. We'll be right back to all that. I just had travel this week, so that's what moved this to another day. Uh, Maybe I might do another Saturday show. Who knows? Uh, But, I mean, this was... I, I definitely wanted to do this to test out who was going to be, you know, if Saturday was going to bring more traction or not. It was pretty much the same traction. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't lose or gain much of anything that was going on. So, hey, there's that. But with that being said, I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Also, also, if you made it this far in the show, um, I have a new Twitter just for the show. What about that? So if you want to follow the show's Twitter, just on that Twitter, um, it is TVOF podcast at TVOF podcast. If you can't figure out what that means, I don't know how you made it this far, but go on Twitter, follow at TVOF podcast, and I'll see you guys on Tuesday. I'm out this bitch. Thank you for listening to the Voice of Fandom podcast. You can join live every Tuesday and Thursday by downloading the Podbean app or listen to audio playback exclusively through the Kansas City Podcast Network, available by app download or anywhere else you choose to listen to your podcasts. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you fifteen percent or more." But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? 
It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.